You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the Culture Change Agent. I don't know where I'm looking right now, but hey, this is what happens right now, because uh, it's the first ever live video podcast, and I'm excited to have my boy Colton Palmer with me, man, so I'm going to do a snippet. Matter of fact, I don't got a snippet of bio, because I don't got a card, so we're just going to jump right into it, man. It's my brother, man. He's going to introduce himself. So, Minority Trailblazer Nation, I need you to do me one thing, one thing. I need you to welcome Colton Palmer to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Welcome to the show. What's good, man? I'm happy to be here. Glad to connect with uh with Greg, man. We go way back, back to high school, man. I've uh, been keeping up with the podcast and looking forward to my opportunity to, you know, get on and say my give you my two cents. Yeah, man. So the biggest thing I'm excited. Let's do it like this. Every show we got, we start the show off with a quote, and I challenge my my guests to share. One story about how they apply that quote to their everyday life, man. So take us away. Okay, so one quote um, that I would say is live live with me and stuck with me um, will be about purpose. Um, I forgot who who said it in particular, but it was, you know, you're, you're born twice, the day you're born and then the, the day you figure out your purpose. And lately I've, I've focused really hard on finding out what my purpose truly is. And I think... Uh, Earlier on, I was, you know, my purpose was always associated with occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have a, a better understanding and I, be, I would say a better understanding of what purpose is to me. And that's, you know, what I'm saying living life the right way, doing right by people, but also putting out a positive energy and, and spiritual presence that, that can go beyond me and can, and can connect with people. So, so what's the what's the f- moment? Like and this, maybe it was a maybe like a situation in the store. What's the moment that it really clicked? Like, hold up, bro, I'm not doing it wrong, but I'm doing it wrong. So how can I adjust? Like, take us through that moment. Uh, I would say the moment it all kind of clicked for me is when I moved back to Durham. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was bouncing around. I, I was, you know, in Atlanta, then Raleigh, then Charlotte, then back here. And when I got back to Durham, I, I kind of started to to notice that I was talking about money all the time or talking about business all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was never what what drove me. It wasn't the money or, or being rich or anything like that. And I was like, man, this something's got to change. And I, um, <clears throat> you know, just by myself in my thoughts, you know, and I was like, man, I, I have to shift back to the person I used to be because that was that was what gave me, in my opinion, the it factor. You know what I'm saying? The ability to connect with people, to to facilitate connections. When I wasn't just thinking about how much, you know, paying this bill or I need this amount of money in my account to be happy because that that wasn't doing anything for me. So that was the moment where it all clicked. And it just so happened to be that I was back 
you know, at, at in my Mecca, what I would consider Durham, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's my home base. Mm. Um, and I think the energy of Durham brought that back to me. And the crazy thing about even, even this interview and us, us, our, our brotherhood is in a sense where, cause even you talk about that depth. I mean, we knew each other in high school, we were friends, but I really didn't experience or see that depth until maybe like a couple years ago, Riverside Reunion, right? And then um, I gave you a book and you was like, nah, and you actually read it. Like you was ready. And we had like, I don't know the uh, the auspice of the conversation, but he had a real, I think niggas was, I don't know if he cried, but it was some real stuff. It was deep. It was yeah, a lot. We went deep. It was me, you, I think Christian, I think JY, but we didn't go deep in this stuff. But I was like, oh snap, bro. Because you know, I'm a dark skinned dude. Y'all know, everybody know. And in high school, it was like, we was cool, but I mean, y'all had y'all thing. Like the light skinned dudes, and they're not light skinned, dark skinned thing, but it's like, okay, he a cool cat. I know he's committed to wrestling. Be cool, but it's like even in AT, like I was like, the dude at parties in AT joined me. We did all that great stuff. Then you had NC State, but we never worked together. It was never. And it's just crazy how stuff aligns, but also too, we talk about depth and understanding. That that moment, and I know you had some, some stories as well, but that moment really it changed even or changed our relationship in a sense where I was like, yo, like, there's a depth to it. Because I mean, you know. In the day, I always call myself, I'm a very vulnerable guy. I'm open. It's depth. And I'm like, well, I used to see people like yourself on paper. Like, I mean, he's a true dude, but I mean, you flashy guys. Like, yeah, yeah but it's, it's Kappa nature, right? We bros right here. Bros, real niggas. The Kappas, they going to be doing that. So I'm like, but then just seeing you in that light, like, okay, is another depth. And I, and I try to challenge people like yourself. And that's why I started this show to get to that next depth because people need to see that, right? So, I mean, I know you had a story from high school. You said something we talked about offline, but jump into that and then I'm going I'm to give an overview of where we're going to go with the show. Yeah, so I think uh, a lot of people have a skewed perspective of who I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, when, when we were in high school, like, a lot of people know that I wrestled. You know, I have two older brothers that wrestled and we were like, you know, kind of had a legacy going at uh, yeah, Riverside. Yeah, legacy, where, yeah. You know, where we came from, so. State championship legacy. Like, yeah, we're we going to yeah, speak we, on that, all, yeah. All we did was, you know, winning was, was the only, only thing we pushed for, but like, you know, there were t- I stayed to myself a lot because, you know, with wrestling, it's the preparation, the cutting weight. You know what I'm saying? You're not always feeling very sociable or anything like that. So I was very much hyper-focused on wrestling. When I got to college, of course, wrestling was still a focal point. But then that's when I started to, you know, get on the party scene a little more, you know what I'm saying, kind of like and did crave and like the attention and, and whatnot. And that's where it kind of developed from there. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't always... My goal wasn't always to be the center of attention, but I would find my way to it yeah. in a way. Um, but yeah, the funny, funny story with wrestling <clears throat> that uh that I I don't think I've ever told anybody this. Uh-huh. So every time when I came into school, you know, every weekend or every week, you know, Monday, they announced put on announcements, you know, so and so won the tournament, they were five and oh, whatever, whatever. And we had class together and you'd be like, oh, I know you won this one. Boom. And it was, you know, every week because I, I really didn't lose yeah. like that. So we um, probably the most heartbreaking moment of my wrestling career was my freshman year. I was 74 and two going in the stage, ranked number one in the state the whole year, get to the semifinals and really just shut down. You know what I'm saying? I, and it's questionable whether or not, you know, the referee's involvement had some issues, but it should have never got there. So I ended up getting third. And man, I probably cried from the second I stepped off the mat till the next match, you know, and I, and I came back, got third, all that good stuff. But it's crazy that weekend, that Sunday, 
I was like, damn, it's going to be on the announcements. And the first person I thought of was Greg is going to look at me and be like, what happened? <laughs> but he's going to be, I was like, but Greg's going to come with some spunk and like, man, like it's, I was like, man, he's going to make it, make it seem like it ain't even no big deal. And this shit is killing me. Like I'm hurt. You know what I'm saying? And I remember I got to school that day. They said announcements. I got third and you still, you didn't, you, it wasn't a joke. It wasn't playful, which I thought it was going to be, but it was like, damn, man, that's, you know, you got third, that's legit. You'll win it next year. And I was like, damn, like I, I just expected niggas to, to downplay something that was the biggest thing for me in my life. But that wasn't the response I got. It was, you got it next year. And then next year I was undefeated and won states. So that was my uh, Greg Hill moment. When I, when I picture my losing states as a freshman, I didn't see your face next uh, coming to school because it definitely hurt, but it, it needed to happen. You know, I don't think I would have been undefeated. I don't think I would have won states as a sophomore if I wouldn't have lost as a freshman. Yeah, so. man, that's, uh, that's it's crazy. And as we as we segue, um, I always like I have a small segment called Find the Post. because I want every interview to kind of have the octave of a relevant convo. Um, so if you think about last week, man, what was one thing good or bad that you got from last week just in general? And I, and I ask every person that just kind of level set because I want people to think back. And what did you learn from the moment? It can be anything. Um, last week, I would say. I got a, a phone call about an opportunity, um, something I, I don't really have experience with, um, and it's with a, a university in their athletic department. Um, but I do have experience as an athlete. I do have experience, and my company is in the branding and marketing realm. So I had pieces of the puzzle, but had never really served in the capacity that they're asking me to serve in. So when I was kind of questioning whether or not I wanted to do it, um, my former coach, uh, who was one of the associate ADs at that particular school, was like, you're perfect for the job. You know, I need your your creativity. I need, you know, they don't have a wrestling program, but it's not about wrestling. You know how to connect with people. You know how to engage people. And you know what it's like to be a college athlete. So at that, at that moment, I just immediately, you got to be able to pivot. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Whatever you're doing business-wise or whatever you, uh, you know, maybe honed in and focused in on, that may not be the goal, you know, that, that God has in mind for you long term. Mm-hmm. Now, it's got you to that moment where someone's presented an opportunity, but you have to, to be prepared to know to make that pivot, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, and to go in that direction. You know, I, I reference uh, all the time David and Goliath's story. Mm-hmm. It's always, it's perceived as the big guy versus the little guy, you know, you know, the, the little dude stood up to him. He had courage and all that. But I think that's a, a misread on the point of that on the point of that story. I think that story was, you know, David had a slingshot and he was using it every day. God put him in that place at that moment because that was supposed to be his moment. Mm-hmm. But he had to realize it and actually move on it. You know, a lot of us sit back. We may think we might have opportunity. We sit back like, I don't know. But you've you know, when you're 100 percent prepared for what's getting put in front of you. And I felt like with this particular opportunity, I've been an athlete. I worked in branding, marketing. That's what they need for me. And that was, you know, my gut was telling me, go with this. This might be something that you can move toward in the future. So, um, you know, realizing the moment and moving within the moment, but, you know, that attraction is, is coming to you anyway, if you're welcoming it. And if you're, you know, aware to it coming to you. So that was a, uh, 
my little my move from last week. Man, that's huge, bro. That's that's powerful, bro. Um, and I, I and we're looking forward. By the time this come out, we'll you'll, the announcement will probably be made, but we're gonna keep it we're gonna keep it locked on this. So let's uh let's open it up like this, man. Um, we are actually nah. Which, which is a great segue to a segment. Before we even enter the first round, I like to have my host, and I typically read their full bios, and people would send me like page, two page. You're like, oh, you're, it ain't necessary. No, it is necessary because in our culture right now, um, a lot of times we downplay a lot of who we are. It's because if you do, you be, oh, you're not humble, or you're not, all this other stuff. So you you live life small. Some people live life big, but it's like majority of us, we're not we're not showcasing our full greatness or the people that are great. They like you playing this like not on. Go ahead and get it all. So I want this to be a moment, and it's gonna give context through the whole interview to kind of brag on yourself some things that you accomplished. Um, and we're gonna get to the lessons learned, but this is your opportunity to say, hey, from high school to professional, some things that you're proud of you want to share so the audience knows. Okay, when he says these stories, of, of the back end of it. Yeah, yeah, and I I think I have downplayed some things with wrestling that that, that I accomplished when I was younger. Um, but you know, starting from, from the beginning, you know what I'm saying? I was born and raised in Durham. Um, I have two older brothers. My, my parents have done very well for themselves. I'm very known in the community and I, um, kind of followed their example. Um, and then my brothers, they, they both wrestled as well. So when I got to Riverside, there was, there was a lot of expectations. Um, but, uh, I got third as a freshman, one, one States as a sophomore, I was undefeated my junior year and then uh, got a compression fracture in my neck. So I missed states my junior year and then was undefeated and won it as a senior. Um, but I, I set the record at the time for the most wins in a high school career. I was 284 and four. And then I got the most wins in a single season in the country, which still stands. I was 91 and 0 my senior year. <laughs> you uh, won it. Oh, bro. Yeah. You could have get nine more victories. You could have had like somebody like a bum of the month club get nine. Not, 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 not calling athletes bums, but you couldn't get like the 100 and 0 boy. Man, we, we put nine, 10 matches. We pretty much maxed out what they would allow you to do. Mm-hmm. Probably two weeks, three weeks after I went 91 and 0, the News and Observer put out an article and and the tag was the Colton Palmer rule. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to wrestle more than 55 matches in a season anymore. So they changed the rules right after okay, I Okay, Colton Chamberlain. Yeah. I like, yeah, that's they, crazy, they, they, they changed them up right after that. But then, you know, went on to NC State. Uh, I got a full ride to wrestle at NC State. Yeah. Um, and that was that was an experience because I'd, I wasn't uh, – I had never really experienced losing but so much, you know what I'm saying? And college was, you know, it's grown ass, man. This isn't, this isn't high school anymore. There's no more boys. Like every, everybody was that dude from wherever they're from. So that took a little bit of while, you know, a little while to adjust, but I always had like little flashes of what I was capable of, but I was also kind of losing a love for the sport and had another coach that came in as an assistant and it picked back up where it left off. And I finished out, you know, college well, went to NCAAs, all that good stuff. Question before we even go there, because I'm I, I like the micro the, the micro story is is real. How did you process, man, going from like you you're the guy in the country in in, in wrestling in high school, only four losses your entire career, and then going to the collegiate level, and now it's a little bit more challenging. And maybe in a sense that in education, what challenging is, it may not be a talent challenging, but a mindset like what was it? What was it like one on that highest level of competition, but two mentally. How did you how did you cope with say, hold up, Mike, I'm I'm great, but I'm not the best. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because you we we train as we want to be the best at everything. You experience being the best. You don't know when the country come in, like, I don't care who's it, I'm I'm the guy. Yeah. But now it's like, what happens when my best 
maybe ain't enough at certain things. So what? What? Like walk us through that. So it was. It is a change up, especially <laughs> especially wrestling. Like hooping, I feel like hooping's different because you have dudes that have an exceptional talent or skill level, um, and there's a level obviously of physicality to the sport mm-hmm. with every sport. But wrestling, what people fail to realize is it's a it's a fight. It's a straight up fight. So when you transition from high school to college, like, you know, I may have a tough match every maybe one match is tough in a week or two weeks. You know, I my, my senior year, I was running through things. So it wasn't like I had that many, you know, high level competition or what was deemed on my level. I guess you could say when I got to college <laughs> practice. Everybody's state champ, two-time state champ, three-time state champ. Man, I had never been losing in, in practice in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm I'm scrapping in practice. I'm like, damn. Like, there's we can't be in the same weight class. Like, he just feels stronger. Like, it, like it's just a, it's different from a man and a boy. But I, I definitely adapted quickly because wrestling is one of those sports where they'll it'll you'll get weeded out very quickly. You know what I'm saying? If you're really built for it, but. I definitely had I was I had the technique I was technically sound enough but college wrestling is you go you you might make an attempt you don't get the takedown but you go again go again go again go again and in high school you might shoot you get in on somebody and they give up they bail out nobody bails out in college <laughs> so what you had to mentally what I had to overcome is what we would consider chain wrestling you have to keep going 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 and you're not going to beat everybody by a lot. You had to get comfortable winning one point and two point matches, but it takes a serious toll on your mind. Um, and that's what I had to shift. I had the physical ability, mm-hmm. but it was the mindset to know that you could go hard for the whole first period, two minutes and 45 seconds and not get a takedown. Mm-hmm. But that was setting the stage for the next period. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was more so about breaking your opponent. And that's when you could score as opposed to, I'm just going to go out and make this dude look like, look silly or, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to just bust his ass. Nah, it was more of a, I'm a scrap. Somebody's going to break at some point. And when that moment comes, I got to be prepared. So it was a, it was a trying time, definitely a trying time in life. But, um, you know, it, it made me who I am. You know what I'm saying? It's always been a part of my life. So. And as before we leave the the wrestling time, I, I want to, I want to ask this question. So we're right, we're going right down the alley. Look at God. Um, Cause you said a lot of stuff that can apply to business and you apply it to your life and you have. So share us the, the, the biggest three lessons that you learned throughout your wrestling career and as an athlete in general. Um, and then show how you're applying that. Like how is, how has built you to operate in the way you are right now as far as professional? I would say the first one would be uh, learning how to lose. Mm. Everyone always talks about, you should never get comfortable with losing. And I don't think you should get comfortable with losing. But you got to learn how to lose and learn how to respond to that. And wrestling, I think, teaches you that very quickly. It's a crash course. Basketball, you have teammates. You know what I'm saying? It, someone else could have messed up. You don't ever blame that one guy. But you know when somebody else is like, man, he, he fucked that up. Yeah. But wrestling is just you on the match. You know <laughs> no, there's no help. There's, there's nobody no help. to blame. And with, you know, with basketball, if you, you, know, you lose a game, you got a couple of days to think about it, recoup, recoup, like regroup and, and refocus. Wrestling, you lose in a tournament, you're up again in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So what wrestling taught me at a young age is how to put that loss behind me, reset, refocus, and go again very quickly. That was a big lesson, and that applies to business big time because you're going to take L's. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have losses, but you can't just, you know, 
you know, be wallowing in your feelings and, and, and not moving forward, you know, and, and getting behind, I would say number two in wrestling was my dad's phrase that he always used. And our goal of every workout was to move your breaking point. Mm. He was like, you don't get better until you hit your breaking point and then move beyond it. And I'm not saying breaking point, like, <laughs> oh, I'm tired and I want to give up. I'm talking, I'm damn near in tears. I'm actually broken. Don't feel like I can physically do anymore. And you get up and do more. And that's the times where you get better. And that's, you know, definitely applies to business. So uh, moving your breaking point has always been something that has stuck with me. That's the podcast name for this, for this episode, Moving Your Breaking Point. That's Move it. Move Your Breaking Point. Yeah. And then I would say the uh, third, third lesson that I learned from wrestling was probably what you feel w- within a match. And that's mm-hmm. adapting. Um, you're in a seven-minute match. There's no real breaks in between, no time to go to a corner you know, it's zero zero in a match. You can't figure out how you're going to, how you're going to win this match or get a takedown and you have to adjust on, on, on the whim. You can shoot the regular vid and then um, I post later. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're constantly moving. Things are changing and you're adapting to the, you know, the situation you're in. Mm -hmm. And I think business is one of those, you know, that realm you got to be in or or that mindset you got to be in that you never know what you're going to be asked to do Mm -hmm. um, going into a meeting. But I'm not going to turn down an opportunity. No, not at all. Not if I feel like <laughs> I, if, I, if I can execute, and I'll be transparent. That's not my cup of tea. But I got somebody who can who can do that for you, and I can facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just learning on a whim, you know, adjusting on a whim, moving your breaking point, learn how to lose but get back up and go again. Yeah, and I, I challenge everybody that's listening. Like, is there something? Actually, I'm not going to do that challenge. One thing I do want to say is that it's like I saw it in high school. Like we, I hooped and we we sacrificed, but we didn't really sacrifice. We just played. But I saw it not only yourself, but the wrestling program. Shout out to the coach. It's Coach, coach T, right? T. Coach T, man. Shout out to Coach T and all the wrestlers, man. Like I tell you, Riverside. I don't know when it ended the rain a little bit, but that that it was something. Y'all was so committed. Like you get to see, like I saw, I saw you come to class and I'm like, why is he, bro? Some days you just didn't talk. And it was just, you couldn't talk. And I'm like, nigga, like, what's up, bro? Like, what's up? I'm playing around, nigga. Like, yo, don't touch me, G. I'm sitting here like, yo, what up, see? Yeah, we like, nah. He like, bro, I'm like, damn, I'm like, damn, this nigga, see what's up with the boy? Like, I haven't ate nothing. Bro, I'm literally back in the day, like, you know, I'm always playing. Like, what up, boy? He be like, bro, like some days, like, uh uh-uh. Really, all my really probably could have hooked off on me, low key. But so walk us through real quick, because I'm, I'm happy now. Walk us through real quick. What does it really take? It's all it's cutting weight. Like when people talk about cutting weight and all that, what does it feel like? What is it? Uh, it's it's probably the, one of the most challenging things you could do in life. And I gotta, I guess I gotta preface it by saying, like, when I was from nine years old to 18 years old, mm-hmm. I had a coach that showed up every morning before school at 530 mm-hmm. to either lift or wrestle. We had a wrestling room in my crib and a weight room. Mm-hmm. So I worked out every day before school at 530. That was that started at nine years old, went all the way through 18. Wow. So that was where we were at with wrestling. That, that's the level of commitment it took. But my freshman year, I was wrestling 103. You know, I was I was small, but, you know, my natural weight was probably about 115, 116. But it took me working out three times a day, every day, just to make weight. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, and I mean, morning workout, I have actual practice. I finish practice, eat a little something, go home, put my sweats on, go, go to Millennium to the gym, jump on the treadmill for an hour, Stairmaster, whatever. And it was cutting weight. Cutting weight 
is probably the closest thing to feeling like you're close thing to feeling death, I would say, in my opinion. But the thing that's unique about wrestling is people have fasted before and fasting is tough. But imagine, you know, not eating as much. We still were, you know, eating for nutritional value and whatnot to keep yourself going. But you're also expected to still go work out every day, Mm -hmm. still train at a high level. And then high school wrestling and college, you weigh in and then you compete in an hour. Mm -hmm. So it's what's that? How can I get to the smallest weight class possible, but be as strong as I can possibly be, but be ready to compete because you're not going to have much time to recoup? Bro, when I tell you high school cutting weight was the worst. I'm, you were selling sodas. I used to be staring at your soda bag. Like, damn, they don't even realize what they got in there. Like, like I see somebody waste a drink. Man, like, it, it, I, I think what could sum it up and how bad cutting weight was, we go to the water, I go to water fountain high school and just run the water, gargle it and spit it out because I knew I couldn't swallow it. I couldn't gain it. I couldn't gain any weight. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And that last day usually comes down to water weight. So it's, you know, it, it's it's extreme, but um, it teaches you a lot of discipline. There are certain things I would do different, mm-hmm. and I probably would have listened more in high school in terms of cutting weight the right way. In mm-hmm. college, I cut it the right way. Mm-hmm. High school, you know, I was starving myself or like, you know, barely eating. Or if I did eat, I would eat because something tasted good rather than, you know, the nutritional value of it. College, you can't function like that. Mm-hmm. You have to actually put the fuel in your body because practice is so hard. You know what I'm saying? So you have to actually fuel your body and, and be consistent with your eating habits. So I made those adjustments. But when you used to see me, yeah. oh, man, I probably hadn't ate the whole day. Yeah. yeah. Nah, Didn't nah. plan on eating the rest of the day either. And please, because I, I know how people, and now we live, can you tell the people about the the, the, the soda stuff? Because it, it cast me really act like I didn't like, I be telling all these stories. All, every every kid that heard me saw, I always talk about soda. Like, we really had a team of eight cats. We made $100 a day. Can you, can you verify this, please? I, I can verify <laughs> Greg Hill was hustling in high school. They were trying to kick him out to school. He was putting the vending machines out of work. Greg started off selling the sodas out of his bag. He was the hustle man. I cop a soda from Greg. Next thing I know, he got a whole team of people working for him. He, they getting them wholesale and it's a, but he had a, a soda enterprise and it was to the point where the school actually had an issue with it. Like this dude is, has a crash course in entrepreneurship, which we're supposed to get from school. You know what I'm saying? Like learning business and how it translates to life and they shut him down. Yeah, bro. It was crazy. They shutting you down. He was stealth with it. it, too, it, j- shout, it. shout out to Jay's key, like principal key, like, cause I've even connecting principal key a great guy. Now that you thought about it, Chris, principal key, you were wrong. We could have hit out a whole program. You could have gave me like 10,000 startup fund. Like yeah, I'm seeing this is now the drum public schools got him. Like, bro, we would have been lit. They giving bread, people bread and stuff like that. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think you said something. I want to go, I want to take the podcast here. Cause now, we're transitioning, okay, we're out of you're outside of your past college, right? So now it's the real world. But I wanna I wanna cause since we're already here, you said something deep about you were operating at an elite level in high school, right? Maybe not going around it the right way, but the results were there. But there was a different level in college, and there's a different level in practice, different the level of, of competition, different in, in different strategies. And I want that to equate because we're talk we are gonna talk business and I think about business, a lot of us we have talent, and I'm talking about black folk. When I say us, I'm talking about black folk. We got talent, we got all this stuff, and others that are listening. But 
there's a different level on the highest levels of professional, specifically entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. When you you doing penny any contracts, you getting fifty dollars, hundred dollars here, cool. But then you're talking when you want ten thousand dollar contracts, twenty thousand dollar contracts. But the thing is, a lot of times we're the same person in a ten dollar, in that, and then the two thousand, twenty thousand boy, and there needs to be changes, right? And then even the next level. 200,000, there's gonna have to be a change. And then 2 million got to be a change in your contacts, your lawyers, all this other stuff. So walk us through from your perspective, from a business level, um, break down that analogy because I think that's really important. A lot of people miss, they they, they get there right now. A lot of people that's listening, they upset, you hurt. Your business ain't where it needs to be. Your finances ain't where they need to be. Your relationship is not where it needs to be. And you're asking why. And I want you to kind of break down why there is certain levels and why they do exist. Yeah, so like they're, with business, just as in life, there are different levels to it. And as you adjust that, when you level up, people oftentimes, and I did the same thing, you know, when I first got out of college and I was uh, working and then I went through the entrepreneurship realm, I was treating business like it wasn't like wrestling. Like I was treating it like it was something new to me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I've already, everything that translated from wrestling translated to business in terms of the grind, the hustle, the adapting to the changes, to adjusting to the, the higher level. But when I was able to, to, when that clicked for me, I realized that when I got to a higher level in wrestling and I wasn't getting the results I was looking for, I stopped, I evaluated, and I went back to the drawing board. In business, we have a tendency, things start going well, we start making some money. Now we want bigger clients. We push push forward to get bigger clients or bigger deals or whatever the case may be. But now you forget about the what got you there, mm-hmm. continuing to learn, you know what I'm saying, continuing to better your craft. We get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of just going forward, going forward, going forward, checking things off the list, tasking everything out that we're not stopping and taking a day or two days a week to actually better your craft. There's more you can learn about whatever your craft is. And that's one thing with wrestling. You know, I could go break down someone else's film. I could go watch what they're doing. Why is, why can I not finish this takedown in college, but I could in high school? What adjustments do I need to make? And, you know, it's not always about just working harder. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You have to work your ass off. Don't get me wrong. But everyone says, you know, don't work harder, work smarter. Well, yeah, I would challenge you to say, like, you're going to have to work your ass off. You're going to have to work smart. But you also got to understand that, like, turn work off for a second because you and your business, you're an employee of yourself or an employee of your business pretty much as an entrepreneur because you end up working more than you would for anybody else. But you have to still take that time to learn about yourself, how you develop, developing your skill sets, your mentality, you know, making sure you're keeping your mental healthy. Like you, you really have to stop and evaluate and still focus on learning new things. You know what I'm saying? On bettering what your, what your craft is. And when you do get to that next level um, and, you know, you have a bigger contract on the table or a bigger deal, potential deal, you're ready for it. You're comfortable with it. You know, it doesn't scare you because you're like, shit, I may not know this, this, and this, which is a portion of the deal, Mm -hmm. but I've trained myself to make adjustments, to figure things out, to bring in additional help if I need it. You don't got to do it by yourself. You know what I'm saying? You, it took coaches, it took teammates, it took a lot of people around me to help me adjust to college wrestling. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take more than just yourself to adjust to the business world. There's going to be shit you don't know. 
It's just going to happen, especially when it comes to big time contracts to big time clients. Mm -hmm. You just won't know. But I think we also are afraid to ask because we're like, damn, I want this to be all my bread. But you're never going to get to the next level if you're looking at it as you're hoarding all the money and you can't spread the money out. If I can spread the money out to my team, bring in people who are specialists in certain areas, then I'm going to keep leveling up because then a company can come to me and say, hey, we got this idea, this project. Go ahead. Well, I got to know everything about, you know, how to execute that. So why do you think and there's something critical there? Let's get this for your opinion. Right. What's the root? Because I, I struggle with this a lot. What's the root of we really want to keep a lot of the bread ourselves? Like and that that shrinks our growth. And I got an opinion. But what's your it's like, man, like you. can Yeah. What 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 is it? Do you, you want me to go deep or just go a, deep? A bro. No, level? no. Go deep. Go deep. Uh, if I go deep with it, I think it starts from what we are um, driven by in terms of what we uh, I don't want to say where we find purpose, but it's somewhat of where humanity finds purpose. Right now, I think we're in a, a stage and phase right now where security is is our purpose. And when I say security, that that means wealth. You know, the more money I have, the more secure I am, the more secure I can ensure my family will be. And we want generational wealth. We want to make sure our families are secure as well down the road. Well, we start getting so hyper-focused on the money aspect that we don't focus on necessarily what it's going to take to build that generational wealth or what you be, you developing generational wealth more than likely means 10 other people developed it as well. Yeah. Developing it by yourself is, is very rare. So I think we have a tendency to hoard, hoard the money or want to pull all the money or keep it to ourselves because we've been living in a society that's very individualistic mm -hmm. and driven by the security or the wealth, you know, as opposed to our indigenous cultures and, and, and cultures that we actually stem from that were more communicable. You know what I'm saying? Like I might be, I might be, uh, you know, the hunter, you know, you may be the farmer, but for our community or our family or our tribe to thrive, you need both of us, mm -hmm. you know, I, I might get a little more credit than you do for this or that, but at the end of the day, I can't function without you. You can't function without me. And I think we have to approach business that way, especially as black folks. We have to team up. We have to network, but we also have to trust that our, our counterparts, our peers are going to do one, what they say they're going to do, but they're also going to, um, keep us in mind, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? When, when they have an opportunity yeah. and when you build that trust and that network, it's explosive. Yeah. You're not worried about, you know, the bread is going to come. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? We have way too many talented people in a circle, Durham specifically from our era that are all doing their thing. And, you know, we're connect reconnecting or starting to connect more in our thirties. And it's like, it's always been there. You know, it took the time for us to learn that we needed each other, but you know, we have the resources to be multimillionaires, billionaires, and create generational wealth right here at home. We don't have to go outside of, of our circles. Amongst you know each other. And yeah, I think exactly. a lot of it, to be real, is a, it's a self-love piece. Because when you're, when I, to build it out, when you lack self-love, and what self-love means to me is that you're constantly evaluating who you are. And once you evaluate who you are, you know what lane you should be in. 
But when you don't evaluate yourself, you say, oh, Colton Lane, he doing that. Well, well, shoot, I need to do this too. Yeah. Oh, I need this. Oh, 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 he ain't all that, blah, blah. It's like, hold up. No, 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 no. Well, you know yourself, you know, that is not my lane. Here's my lane. Here's how I come up. Here's how I can become a specialist. And all of a sudden, then lights start going on because you're a specialist. People need specialists, right? People don't need generalists. Generalists, you can fire them. You can't, like specialists, there's certain things you can do that I can't do. Whatever I can't, there's certain things, there's certain space you have, I can't do. But if you're a generalist, I mean, anybody can edit some. Any guy do this, but when you like, okay, there's a way he edit. There's a way he talks. There's a way he does this. Then boom, that's the gift. But I think the challenge is, there's some hangups around the way, a lot of mental hurdles. But I'm like, man, I wish, and I challenge, and when I talk to kids and even young adults, I'm like, yo, find out who you are. Yeah. Like early, the earlier you are, like there's some young kids and you probably met that are just like, boom, like it's crazy. There. But their parents and they create a culture and, I, and I'm challenging our parents too because we know well, now I'm 30, the people that listen to this thing, 35, 36, whatever, like you challenge kids, man, don't don't fit them into your mode. Like don't, I mean, yo, if you got, if you, if you got a good mode, get them to fit you into their culture. But if I, at NC State, there's probably a culture, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that every single individual is going to be exactly, but it's a culture of excellence, it's a culture of dedication. But the challenge, a lot, I think a lot of times is identifying where we fit in within that and then not saying, okay, oh, your son or whoever you want. Because your dad, your mom's a dentist. Which one's a dentist? Uh, my mom's a dentist. So she did she ever be like, okay, you need to, all right, you, like you were good in school, but like, how was that dynamic? Like, let's, let's go, let's unpack kind of growing up because I mean, two-parent household, Already had some some big meets in the city. Like how was that? How was that dichotomy? Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I think my parents did an excellent job. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think they um, they let us kind of find our own way um, in terms of what we want to do. My mom's a dentist. She has two practices in Durham. Um, my dad was uh, in uh, city government. He was a deputy county manager for quite some time, and he was director of community affairs at uh, Duke for a while. Now he's uh, self help and probably moving towards the retirement stage um, and my mom as well. But, you know, it's interesting that, you know, my dad was a CPA, but went into politics. My mom's a dentist. My oldest brother's an artist. My middle brother is a teacher and artist, tattoo artist, but artist as well. And then, um, and a teacher, you know, and then me, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, which my mom is definitely an entrepreneur with her dental practices. But mine was just a, a little bit different, you know, different of a realm. It wasn't a very traditional, you know, occupation or the approach I've taken hasn't been as traditional. But I think my parents gave us the room to move, room to breathe. But, you know, we were taught how to grind as well. And wrestling was that grind. You know what I'm saying? Like that was that was what taught us what it took to be good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and I was good, but I still saw people that worked outwork me mm. so it's like there's always still room to but it's good there. to be around those because you see you see the levels yeah like i it's eye-opening too i mean just recently a, a close friend of mine who's on the uh, uh you know on the olympic ladder and training for the olympics i thought i was working my ass off all through high school college and i was you know what i'm saying but he was telling me he's like yeah sometimes man i would just you know probably once or twice a week i would go in the room college wrestling room is probably about 45 50 yards long he would go in the room, set the clock for an hour, play music. He's in there by himself. And he would just walk the length of the room in his wrestling stance. Never stand up straight. Never break his stance. If you know anything about wrestling or being in a wrestling stance, your back will be killing you, your knees, your hips, staying in a wrestling stance and walking for an hour straight and never breaking your stance. But for me, that wasn't hearing that from him. I was like, boy, 
he's on a whole nother level because that was a mental, that was a mental test for him twice a week. You know what I'm saying? To walk the length of the wrestling room in his stance for a full hour, never stand up straight, never shake it out. None of that stayed stance, kept walking, but you know, an hour I'd be bored. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I would just be like, man, I don't want to be here anymore. But for him to put himself through something like that as an individual with no coach around, nobody making him do it, that's a whole nother level of, of mental toughness that a lot of folks just don't have. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of cats that came up tough or came up in, in tough situations and it made them who they are and made them stronger. But there's a whole nother level of mental toughness that isn't about your, your physical surroundings. It's about where you can take your mind and what you can do with your mind. And, you know, wrestling showed me that from a young age and showed me people who are capable of that, which lets you know how hard and how driven people are out here to be successful. Just because you say you want something or think you're going to get there don't mean it's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a, it's a commitment every day. What, what do you do, man? You do a lot of stuff, but I'm like, yo, what do you do? So, and I, I got to say something because... Every, I was reading all these different books about business and they were like, yeah, you need to focus on your one thing. And I, and I think to a that's true. Yeah. To a degree, it's true. Depends on who you are. Yeah. Like, they're going to tell me that, but then you, the dude that's telling me that you would every, oh, you, you it seems like you're all these lanes. It seems like you're in a bunch of lanes. So it seems like I'm in a ton of lanes. But like you said, you got to know when to stay in your lane. I know what my lane is. Mm-hmm. I may be involved with a bunch of different businesses and a bunch of different things going on, but within each one of those ecosystems, I still have just my lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I kind of, I t- when I sent you my bio, I consider myself a facilitator. That's it. The, the definition of a facilitator is someone who could, who can make your job easier, who can make something easier Period. for you. So I feel like I have the ability to connect people with who they need to work with. Um, I feel like I have a, a keen ability to network and to connect with people. Um, but also I, I feel like I have, uh, um, I have a knack for for understanding the experience of things, mm. whether it's a party or it's, uh, you know, if you buy a bottle of Bedlam and you're out with your friends and, and you're drinking it and, you know, I can see that, see that experience and make that translate into a, mar- a marketing tool or uh, branding and whatnot. So I would consider myself a facilitator, but also a connector. So we have Gold Group Incorporated, which is what, is my my company or the company I'm focused on. And I, instead of going the route of just hiring employees, I wanted to create um, a network of people, of specialists that I could bring in for any situation. So um, our tagline, you know, strategic solutions. If you have a problem, we'll fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can't fix it, I know so I have someone who can and I will bring them in for whatever your specialized need is. You know, I like to stay in the branding and marketing realm, but I have attorneys I rock with, PR, PR folks, you know, web designers, graphic designers. You know, we want to be able to facilitate any needs or any assistance you may have as a business. Um, And what that's been able to create for me is somewhat of our own little ecosystem. Um, And I will facilitate meetings or connections between CEOs, you know. The, the CEO of, of one company can learn from the CEO of another. And they, they may never get a chance to speak. And it may even be, you know, as a CEO, you don't want to look like you're going to another CEO for advice. But if I can create that meeting, you know, off the books or off the record for them to be in a space where they're comfortable to learn from each other, 
that's another way I can which has value. Yeah, it's another way I can I can facilitate the the assistance you may need. So, um, you know, Gold Group is involved in um, we have our, our foundation. I'm kind of have fallen into the the management representation of of athletes, which is specifically Olympic sport athletes. And right now, wrestling is is the focus for me and, and some of those guys that are training for the Olympics because uh, I just feel like there's a major need there for representation from them. Um, but I have clients that are, you know, in the liquor realm and um, then clients that are, you know, local businesses. Uh, so we do have a lot of touch points, mm-hmm. but it always comes back to one um, kind of one point for me. And that's I enjoy helping people or cultivating an idea or seeing an idea come to fruition. I love that experience. And it is hard for me to sit and do the same thing over and over again. And I was reading all those books and they say, you need to be focused on one thing. And I was like, damn, I just, I'm just not happy focused on one thing, but how can I shift what I am good at, monetize it and make it my one thing. But it's my one thing I do with multiple different businesses. And it took me years to, to figure that out. Oh yeah. And I, I think I'm really now just really finding my like my stride. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've really got it, really got it rolling now. And I and you know things have just been falling in my lap. To be honest, same here. I think that um, I think it's critical. Like a lot of big books is cool, but the thing at the end of the day is like I used to have in my title on my Instagram, I'm professional speaker, author, podcast. Well, it sounds good. It sounds deep, but it's like. Nah, I'm in today, especially because of our sense, because we've been living this life, it's different. It's not for everybody, because certain people, I mean, you might you need those handles because you you just starting to really come into your own in the business. But shoot, we've been in the lane in the, in this space for so long. Like I'm Greg, and, it, and it, 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 I've always said, and Zoe said this all the time. Like I always say, I'm gonna be a legend, I'm gonna be this, and it made people people feel uncomfortable. Like yo, look, what you mean? Just who he think he is? But I always knew that yo, I'm just Greg. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's hard to be comfortable with that because so many people are uncomfortable. You say, yo, nah, we're trying to be legend. I'm trying to be great, phenomenal. Like, oh, what? I used to compare myself to Martin Luther King and all them. I was like, I tried, I looked at, I looked at my age. I said, at 20, he was doing this. At 20, I, le- I was leading voter stuff with my boy Marcus Bass. Shout out to Marcus Bass. We did X, Y, and Z. I said, bro, like, I'm tracking the same way. Why can't yeah. I put myself in them? Why not? That's what yeah. he would want. You feel me? Malcolm X, he probably looking up like, yo, I, I, I see you, G. That's what we want. You feel me? Yeah. So, no, definitely. At the end of the day, I think there's so so much value in really owning owning who you are, like really owning who you are, having that confidence, have that boldness, and hopefully the work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing, the work that people in the coach is doing, it's like, hold up. That's the whole, that's my goal of everything is to show people like, yo, do you realize how great you are? Yeah, no, that's real, man. I, I think that, you know, everyone needs to hear that. Like I, uh, even wrestling wise, man, it took a... I always downplayed what I accomplished because I didn't accomplish my end goals in terms of what I want to do in college uh, wrestling. But, you know, I sat down with my brothers and this over the holidays and some old coaches and we were just talking and a coach that, you know, man, I used to think he was the meanest person in the world, but he, he made me who I was in terms of wrestling. He, he actually a funny story after my freshman year, mm-hmm. I was 74 and three, got third in the state. I, you know, I, and after that season from cutting so much weight, I gained a lot of weight and wrestling going from 103 to 125 in weight class is a big jump. 
I'm walking around probably naturally about 140 at that point, but it wasn't a solid 140 to cut, then cut to 125. I'm in the kitchen with him, CC Fisher, shout out to CC, um, and my mom. And he just looked at me. He's like, you suck. I suck. What you mean I suck? Like I got third in the state last year. Like I got the most wins ever for a freshman in the United States. Like, what you mean I suck? He's like, yeah, but you suck. He was like, you just Debo everybody. You know how to wrestle, but you just Debo everybody. And man, I was furious. I probably, it was probably nine o'clock at night. I went to my room, went straight to bed. I knew he was going to wake me up at six o'clock to work out, you know, kind of kicking off the summer. But when I woke up that you morning, sucked. but yeah, he's like, you suck. <laughs> and, and bro, he meant it. He, meant he said it with like, like for real. Like, no, you suck, bro. You suck. <laughs> I'm like, I'm furious. Woke up next morning. We got to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That summer, I mean, I, it prepared me for the next season to jump that many weight classes, to go undefeated, to win states. He didn't tell me till I was a grown ass man. Like what you accomplish doesn't doesn't happen very often. He was like, I was extremely proud of you at that point. But back then, I just wanted him to tell me I was, you know, what I'm saying that I was good. But as I got older, and now that I am older, you know, what I'm saying I look back on what I did accomplish, and it was, you know, I did do some some great things in wrestling. You know what I'm saying? I didn't necessarily go to the level I wanted to go to or necessarily accomplish all the accolades, but you know what I'm saying? I did do some great things there and and realizing that, man, it just can, it feels good. And I think the same thing happens when you get into business. I feel like I've accomplished some things. And even my mom the other day, I was, you know, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm where I want to be. She was like, you know, it's not always about the monetary. You know, it's not always about you know, people, who gives a fuck if, if, if people think you're rich and who really gives a fuck if you're rich? Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> For a second they do, yeah. but then they go yeah. back to their crib and they, could, yeah. And they could care less. So that isn't your goal. Your goal, you need to shift gears, you know what I'm saying? With, with what you want to accomplish and what, what you actually see value in. And when I, shifted gears yeah i want to make a ton of money you know what i'm saying i want to create yeah, a generation yeah, every right i want it i want everybody around me to make a lot of bread every right yeah yeah but it was you know i need hearing from my mom you know we're proud of you you have a comp you've accomplished so much and hearing people say to me or hit me up on the ground which i would never expect and they're like man keep doing what you're doing man like i always keep up with you, you i'm motivated by you and i'm those little moments are way more gratifying than any check I've been cut. Mm-hmm. Way more gratifying. And I think the issue a lot of times is, and I was talking to a young lady of mine, and I was like, I really feel that at times when you when you do stuff on a high level, man, and I talk to Zoe about this too, it's like cats withhold praise because they think you maybe are already arrogant or whatever. It's like, bro, just give roses because a lot of times... You don't, you would think, oh, you do a party or you do something that's high level. People are like, yo, whatever. Nah, nah, it ain't really like that. Uh, nobody's really saying, hey, man, that was phenomenal work you did. Yeah. You it's more so, you, it's cool, it's love. Oh, that's my nigga. It's never like, oh, no, nah, that's phenomenal. What you've been able to do at NC State, well, even with the promotion, that's great. You don't hear that. You don't. Because people just take it for granted. Oh, he probably get all the time and you just, and you go years and nobody ever get you no rose. Everybody like no no special parties for you. Know I'm like, bro, what? Dang, bro, did I do it? Did I, was I value to y'all? Like, I gave my life to y'all. And like, even me, it took me seven years to graduate. It shouldn't have took me seven years, but it was last three years hosting all these events. And it's like, well, dang, bro, like, 
I, I was the guy. Everybody got in, everybody got in free. Everybody this, mm-hmm. and I'm the guy left holding them with the GPA, with the bad credit, and it was my decisions. But we never got no, hey man, gee, like you really. And now it came, and I respect it. But at times, it's a challenge. Like when when you don't get that acknowledgement, it definitely is. It definitely is, man. Like when you when you don't get credit for the things you've done, like it, it definitely stings. You know what I'm saying? And then also, you know what I'm saying? You give cats ideas or you tell them, you know, I think you should do this and do that. And then they do it and don't acknowledge that it came from you. That'll really piss you so, off. Hey, bro, I shot those videos, bro. I was like, bro, hey, my bad. I forgot. <laughs> but that, that'll, that'll really get to you, man. But that also, that also stems back to, you know, acknowledging someone else's greatness, the greatness of the man behind the camera as much as the person who's in front of it. And with our own friends, we got to not like telling your friend you're great. You know what I'm saying? You're doing your thing. That's all love. And I think we, we also, when we start to do that, then it becomes a routine. And then it feels like oh, it's, it doesn't mean the same thing. But when, when somebody calls you or one of your boys calls you, y'all haven't talked in a while or y'all just catching up. And he's like, man, bro, you're killing it, man. Like you, you really are great, truly great, man. I truly look up to you. Motivate me. That speaks volumes. You know what I'm saying? When when you really feel like someone's bringing you something that's really from the heart, like that has a whole different impact on you. And if anything, it motivates you so much more to go so much harder. You know what I'm saying? But I think we do have to do a better job of, you know, telling people how great they are and, you know, the little things. Like I, even with this whole COVID crisis, my brother and I were talking, I was, you know, we were just, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, everybody's talking about, the first responders, which definitely is a big deal. You know, folks that are working in hospitals, nurses, cops, you know, fire, first responders right now with COVID and all that and the, the medical workers, that's huge. But think about the folks that never stop working at your grocery store or at cookout, the folks that are at fast food places, bro, people are pulling up on them every day, pissed off at the situation, at all taking times. it out on them, like, why the fuck y'all going so slow? Well, for them, this is a complete change. They're used to working inside. Now they got to do everything outside. Like, bro, those folks deserve just as much credit. They've kept the country moving just as much as, as the medical workers have. And, you know, dealing with everyone's attitudes every time they pull up. Like we take for granted what people like that have, have done to keep, keep things rolling. Like, Food line didn't close. Harris Teeter didn't close. Like at all. Though, and a lot of those, a lot of those are kids in there still working, mm-hmm. making sure you got shit you need when you go home. So it's like, you know, that's something for me that's like something that may be minute to you or you think is smaller as routine for somebody else. That's major. You know what I'm saying? This is a pivotal point in their life or, you know, they they could use the acknowledgement too. Everybody, you know, everybody. everyone throws entrepreneur around. And and all these terms that that seemingly give you more credit or make you seem better or like you're doing better, but that really don't mean shit. I mean, there's there's people who have been working the same job for 30 years, but they are the fucking best at that job. And they deserve to be given the credit. Yeah. They be they deserve the acknowledgement. Even think- if it's for ten dollars an hour, it, that's not what they're going for. You have to you know, the value stretches far beyond the monetary, in my opinion. I mean, the basis is all in love. Yeah. Like, and I think I have to challenge myself because I get mad at people my age because y'all be on some other stuff. But really, if we can we just love each other? 
Yeah. Not in a weird. I gotta be PC. Not, yeah. I think we just gotta we gotta we gotta love, man. We gotta love, like really, not conditionally, but we we we, we now. I saw something disgusting with the Herman Cain situation. I know unfortunately he passed away. He was a Republican. Um, he didn't wear a mask, and and that was that's the story in itself. But I'm seeing people comment like, "Oh my God, that's what you deserve." Blah blah. blah. And it's people of color and people not of color. But I'm like, what? I know he didn't. I know he's not a Democrat. I know he. he but why? Why? Why all this? Yeah. And it's it's usually with high profile individuals like well dang why, are we gonna shoot out all our black celebrities or people that are influencers or whatever then what what are we doing here like what 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 like why do people sacrifice so much for the culture in a certain way to then get vilified over like one you you get one picture with Trump and you dang you out the window and it's like bro like you don't know no context you don't know the context of a lot of the decisions people make no you don't. especially in politics and I'm harsh on po- politicians but we don't know the context. And we comment on stuff like Kamala Harris. Like I don't know the context of her stuff, but people were just railing awful and stuff. I'm like, bro, like, why in the culture we so like, uh, uh-uh. uh, you, you, you rising, you doing this? No, bump that. She, in 1988, she wrote on this bill, whatever. You don't know who was in that room when she wrote on that bill on yeah. on, on the mass incarceration. You don't know what the deal was. You don't know what the what the. There's a give and take with everything, and and I'm not trying to. I would. I don't necessarily give you know anyone a pass. I do want to know in context why you said what you said or did what you did. But you got to understand where people are too. You know, you look at a politician and be like, oh well, they they did this and that to to get to where they are. Something you may not agree with, or they pull something from their past. But then if you take that down to a level where it's um, you know not in a political realm or in that in that spotlight. Mm-hmm. But you talk about, you know, an athlete or or anybody at work. There's definitely stuff that we've probably done in the workspace to get ahead that is would definitely be frowned upon. You shifted gears in terms. We've all shifted gears in terms of code, you know, code shifting and things like that to fit in or be comfortable around white folks. There's a lot of stuff that probably if it got caught on camera, I'd be like, you know, back in the day that I would have been like, damn, I, I would be ashamed if everyone saw or heard what I said, because yeah, yeah. I was being politically correct. I had turned on the voice for them to make white people more comfortable or to make, you know, people in that that corporate realm more comfortable. And it's something that I wish I didn't have to do and I wish I wouldn't have done. But at that particular time, I thought it was necessary. And I also thought I was like, I used to brag about, man, I'm a chameleon. Like I, That's can, what I can be I around really, anybody. Like yeah. this and that. But then there was a time where I was like, okay, even with black folks, like, you know, I don't need to shift anymore. I can be who I am. Yeah, there's certain times where I may be, you know, may use profanity in this situation and not in this one. But, you know, I'm not going to change who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to change my delivery. You know what I'm saying? Because I always had it in high school. You know what I'm saying? I would be talking to cats and be like, well, you sound like a white boy. I, and I used to not have the firepower to 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 kind of shoot back but now i'm like shit so because i'm well-spoken or articulate i sound white that don't make sense to me you know what i'm saying it's with a straight how, face and it's like, like ain't no like ain't, ain't stuff stuff that used to be funny ain't funny no more yeah it isn't <laughs> it isn't and i and i'm I, it's sad that like in middle school i tried to shift it like i tried to talk different and i was like man by the time i got to high school i was like man i really don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about how i talk or my delivery but then i was also in a sport like wrestling where Black folks are like, you wrestle. Like, 
I was already in that uh, outlier in that work in our in, uh, in I the black community. It, wrestling is a weird. It's it's not weird. It's a different. You it's you different. you got on speedos. Y'all tackling. You rubbing. It's like bro, like it, ah. and people and, and to a wrestler. That's the furthest from what it's like. You know what I'm saying? People, people like, man, like you got a little tight singlet on, man. Like that don't that don't feel that's not weird to you. Like, yeah, while you sitting there thinking about somebody something feeling weird, motherfucker is kicking your ass. Yeah, that's the last thing you're thinking of. But you know, I feel like our our wrestling program educated the black community in Durham on what the sport of wrestling could provide. We now there's a lot of black folks we in wrestling now. to D1 nonstop. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You can go play football, be on a team with 60 cats, and if the coaches ain't pushing you out there, you don't go nowhere. Mm -hmm. Wrestling, no matter what, it's one-on-one. You can see how good I really am. I ain't blending in in no team or no group. You know what I'm saying? You You get exposed. Exactly how good I am. And you can see how much heart I got. Carolina's coach back in the day, not the current coach, when I lost Mm -hmm. in uh, States, he came down. Actually, was was another moment for me that was big because I was back there backstage like, crying. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Some I've been working towards my entire life up to that point, up to being, you know, 14 years old from five to 14. I just fell short. And the Carolina coach came up to me and he was like, what I pay attention to when I'm recruiting a kid is not when he wins all the time, but how you respond after you lose. And my dad was finished on an odd number. I don't care if we lose in this tournament multiple times. You don't get first, third, fifth, or seventh. We're not happy with any even numbers on, only happy with odd. We're going to go out with a win. And that's when I was, I mean, I'm wiping tears and to hear a college coach who I'm hoping recruits me later say, I want to see how you respond. You lost. You're not used to losing. You got to win two more matches to get third. And hearing that, you know, I'm wiping tears like shit. I'm not losing. I'm not going to lose again. You know what I'm saying? The next match, I went out and just tried to punish the kid. It wasn't about how bad I beat him points wise. At that point, my thought process was I'm about to send a message these last two matches this season that nobody's going to want to, no one's going to want to fuck with me next season. Because mm. not only am I going to start beating people, I'm going to start breaking them. I'm going to make them want to go up a weight class or down a weight class. You don't ever want to see me again. And, you know, that shifted. I don't know how we got back there and I always kind of get back to wrestling, but, but that's, you know, that's my foundation. Kind of that's what, that's what I can always revert back to with life experiences now that I know I can, I can find a similar, you know, experience in my wrestling career that I can, you know, make sense of things and, and kind of figure out where I need to go from there. And I think that's important because I, I see a lot of people where they discredit their past experiences. They don't take in context like, oh, uh, I'm just starting off. Well, certain things you're not just starting off. Like some some guy, uh, one a friend of mine, he's, he wants to get into the speaking game. And he was like, he's a he's a dancer, right? Been doing it for 15 years on a high on a high level. He's like, well, I'm just starting off speaking. I said, bro, you speaking is just communication. And I mean, to be honest, there's people that are barely literate and are great speakers. Are you saying something that matters and is it from the heart? Yeah, that's all communication really is to the, for the most part, right? Depending on what what level you're trying to go on. So I think the biggest thing, man, when I, and now we think about it, it's just really unpacking your past. Yeah. Unpacking where you, where your wins were, and it went not not even financially. Unpacking where the wins were, even in relationships, or your wins were with your kids, like your wins were at work, like the small things, and get some build some of your own momentum before. But also too, I want to I, I, I want to make sure I remember to, to hit this. Let's let's talk about before we transition to the last part of the show. And honestly, this is we're gonna have a great part one, but this is this is good. We're gonna have another something in the back end. But let's speak on 
value and value yourself, especially in business. And, and because I think that's really important because the next level of business where the people out there that haven't really made it to securing the bigger deals that they would like, or even your job, you're a teacher, you haven't really got the promotion, you're trying to get a vice president, all this other stuff. This is a certain essence of playing big, not from like a marketing, but from like a life and force. You want the meetings, you like, you know what you, you know, deserve, you know, your value. So when did you start to understand your value and how do you process that for those? I discovered that when I was in uh, a meeting, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I have a branding and marketing firm mm-hmm. um, and we were doing it more on a local, I would say on a statewide and regional level. And we had a meeting with a company that's national and international. You know, I'm, I'm looking at their track record. I'm like, damn, you know, work with everybody, like a multi-million dollar projects, this and that. I get in the meeting and they are talking about some bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is some bullshit. Like, why, why are we giving them all this bread to, to, and I wasn't hating on them or hating on the situation, but I was like, what they're doing and what they're saying they can do, I could do 10 times better than they can, but they've packaged it to where they show you how valuable they are, how valuable their team is, and the and the results you're going to get from it. And you said enough just in that three things, enough for the podcast. I hope y'all catch that. I'm not going to repeat it. Right there, if you can identify those things, you can get whatever contract you want. But if you can't, and we have to identify it for you, you won't get whatever, whatever somebody give you. Continue. Exactly. No, definitely. And I, and I, I believed it. Well, up to that point, I was, you know, I think I was getting, you know, I was being valued. I think I was valuable to those the companies I had worked with, and I had been, you know, um, you know, paid well for what I had done. But I knew that at that moment, like. I can play on that level. Mm-hmm. I can be on that level. I know how to show them the results that I can, you know, that I can, I can provide. I, I know how to package what I need to do and how I need to do it. But I thought it was almost like you're waiting for somebody to either tell you or waiting for some kind of light bulb to go off. This like, oh, now I'm on that level. I know you have to put yourself on that level. And, you know, going back to sports as a kid or wrestling, like I, like I always do, but like, you know, there was a point where I was like, I am this shit. Like, I am good. Like, actually, nobody can beat me in, in, in North Carolina. I, I got to a point in my sophomore year, like, nobody can beat me. Only way I lose a match is if I beat myself. And side note, the quick context. Um, be warned. There's a certain amount of work that you have to put in to oh, put this asset. So I don't, I don't want to get confused. Yeah, yeah, like, don't, automatic. Yeah, don't, 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 don't just say, I need 20000 Don't you dare. Don't. No, 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 no. There's a certain amount, but this is, I just wanted, we just want to show in levels. All right, I love y'all. But, and, I, and I'll say, <laughs> if you're really honest with yourself, you know when you're at the point where you can ask for, for the amount of money or say or demand, this is what I need. But you also have to have the heart to say it and possibly hear no and walk the fuck out. If you if you're like, well, I could actually do this. I could I could actually I could bring it down if we could do it. Like and I used to make adjustments. I used to adjust. Now, if somebody asks for a particular service from me and I feel like that's going to take a significant amount of time, amount of work, amount of resources. And I'm like, hey, what's your budget? Or I say this is the amount. And they're like, I can't do that. This is my budget. I'm not going to say, hell no, I'm kicking you out. 
I'll say, okay, I know some people that I believe that, that might be a better fit for you. Here are some folks, because for me, with the, the resources I have and the time I have, um, that's just not quite enough for me. But these people do good work or this particular person, or I may even suggest to them another route that would be that would save them money where they could knock out two or three or four, you know, birds in one stone type of deal. Yeah. So I, I may help them restructure their approach. Um, if they don't have the means or the, the finances within their business to do that at that particular moment, you know, you can still help somebody or still be of assistance to a business um, and still say no. Like, it's OK think, to say no. And I think that's huge. And I, I'm you're ref- helping reframe mine because I think there's a lot of bad stuff online about, oh, they can't afford me, blah, blah, blah. And you just I'm like, bro, no, 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 no. Like, that's not first of all, not good business. I've seen people. Yeah. But second, it's like, well, if you there's other ways. Like it's, it's so cool to beat up on small businesses. Like this small business and say they're gonna be a big business. If you if, you, if they can't afford you, it ain't your time to go on Instagram. Oh, they can't afford my race. All this other stuff. No, like well, we we cut ourselves off so much by doing stuff like that. I'm not even want to go that route. But um, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. One thing. The, another way because we talked we talked about the, your value and your experience and and you have to work to get there. What I would suggest for any business owner that's providing any service or for anyone who, who is trying to level up, you have to get the experience some way, somehow. So for me, I was starting to charge more for my services, but I also had different ideas and different things that I thought that would be successful. But you don't necessarily want to walk into a, a big time client and try something new or try <laughs> something out. So what I, you know, but I have businesses coming to me all the time that are smaller businesses if I see that business has big time potential or that yeah. person has big time potential, mm-hmm. I will say, hey, I'll take on your company or this particular project with you. I know you may not have the the means within your business at this particular moment to pay what I would usually charge. And I'm going to let you know what I would usually charge so you know what kind of work, the level of work you're getting. But I'm willing to to drop my rates back because I believe in one, your business and your foresight with your business, but also believe in you. Mm-hmm. But we're going to try some new things here. So I need you to give me a little bit more wiggle room to try some different things and, and to see if these particular uh, approaches work. We're going to track the analytics. You know, we're, we're going to, in the, in the process of me doing that, I'm still going to give you all the video footage you need, the content, the graphics, or whatever they may need from us service-wise. You're going to get all that. But and I'm not going to charge as much as I usually would, but I'm also going to going to try out some new strategies that I think can work for your business and work for you. And, you know, that has helped me to get my foot in the door with some smaller businesses that are now not so small. And in my opinion, you know, you, you have to be... Get your portfolio up, man. Yeah, yeah, it's not about... You can't always just look at the business's resume or track record or how much money they're making to decide whether or not you want to do business with them. You got to do business with people who are up and comers because at, at yeah. some point you're an up and comer and I still deem myself an up oh, and comer. Uh-huh. So, you know, you got to look to those opportunities. And one more quick thing I, I got to say is if you have, if you have a skill set that you are very good at and there's a particular business that needs your services that don't have the necessarily the money to pay you, you don't always have to barter or you can barter. You don't always have to do it straight, straight bread. Like it doesn't have to be that you pay me. I'll do this for you, but 
I, and I believe in your business and I think I could be a lasting um, resource for you. How would you feel about equity? You know, I, if, a, if you give a percentage equity to me in your business and we contractually do it, we do it the right way. Now I'm a part of your team. I'm always a resource. You know, I'm always a board member, whatever the case may be. But we, uh, I think we rarely ever want to give up a piece of our business. But if someone's going to take you to the next level, you, you know, want to be smart about how much you may give up or what the percentage may be. But man, if I have a vested interest, even if it's two or 3% in a particular business, I'm going to do a little bit extra to make sure they Heck get there yeah. and it's successful. So can you start when you, when you realize the next level of business is not as nothing that most powerful people in the country, a lot of them not, they're not even billionaires. They're not millionaires. Like, no, I mean, some of them, are a lot of millionaires, but it's the conversations they can have. It's the, it's the things they can connect together. That's where the will wealth is. All this other stuff is a Western construct anyways. Y'all go to Africa, f- figure that out. You bring a billion dollars to Africa, some country don't don't reserve your dollar and say, hey, what, try to move some stuff around and they'll kill you. Yeah, so, I mean, it just, I mean, and, and let me just, uh, let me retract that because I know y'all gonna be like, oh, why you have to put Africa? I don't know about that. I'm just saying, go to other third world countries and try that game, right? Because I know some of y'all, I, the, the more you grow, the more people are like, oh, well, Greg said Africa and I'm like, nah, I'm not trying to pick on the homeland. I'm just saying, like, y'all, you gotta have a skill set or something. <laughs> So as we hasten, as we, as we conclude, man, um, I, I do, there's just one, there's two last questions. Um, the first being, what do you want your lasting legacy to be, man? I know it's morbid, but when it's all said and done, man, when, when the, when the chapter is closed, like, what do you want Colton Palmer, the legacy that you live, what do you want it to be? Uh, I, I want it to be that I, I left a lasting impact on a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? My, my dad always says said to me, you know, mm-hmm. you can tell how a man lived by how people show up to his funeral. You know what I'm saying? If if it's packed, it's deep, you know, you can tell that he was he or she was a mentor or, you know, guided people, gave people opportunities. But, you know, I would hope that, you know, impressions that I leave on people, even if it's in, you know, for 10 minutes, that they will always remember that particular time where where we engage with one another and, you know, that I left some sort of positive impact on their life, but also uh, for me, impact on my community. And, you know, Durham specifically, North Carolina, um, anybody knows me, I'm an extremely, you know, proud person of where I'm from. Um, And I think uh, I I would like to people to know what I did here, but also what my city has done and has led the way for over the, you know, forever. You know what I'm saying? If you really look at Durham, you know, we've been on the forefront of race relations years before, you know, other, other cities caught up. You know, we were Black Wall Street at one point following Tulsa. Like, you know, there have been a lot of great people that have come through here. And, and if you're from here, you, you know what you feel it it's almost unexplainable when people are like, why I love Durham so much, but I want to leave an impact here at home in Durham, um, you know, a legacy behind for hopefully one day my kids um, and for, you know, future generations. But, you know, if at the end of the day, if, if when people talk about me, they just say he was a good person. I'm happy with that. Mm. Yeah. And then the last one, of course, everybody ever came on my show. We typically do a culture change round, but we'll 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 get that out on the back end. Um, the last question is: um, if you could change one thing about society, uh, most specifically the African American culture, 
what would it be and why? Um, I think I would, I would change. I would, I would change our, how we approach knowledge in a way and how we, um, I think we always, and I don't want to die, like dive too deep into religion and spirituality because I'm, I am a very spiritual person. Um, but I think that we depend on others to, to learn and to grow and to understand. We always not, not knowing and not, um, kind of touching the, the, how much power we have within, you know, a lot of, there's a lot you can answer from that comes from yourself. You know what I'm saying? And I, I reference understanding all the time. Um, and when I read that and what, you know, our indigenous, the, our indigenous people, you know, that, you know, black folks and, you know, they had a connection with their, with the ancestors, with the earth, with an understanding, you know what I'm saying? With, with God, with that, that presence. And I think we just naturally go to outside sources all the time. Like we want to, you know, a preacher or a priest is great. For guidance, absolutely. You need tutors and guidance, but you still got that. But you still have to come. You still have to understand within and go the journey. Like absolutely, you're not. They're not climbing a mountain for you. Yeah, hey, go this direction. But we just can point. We stepping. We gonna climb this mountain. I would. I wish we would. We would look within a lot more than than searching for things. You know, on the exterior. And I think a lot of our thought process and and why we take that approach is because of you know kind of uh, Eurocentric constructs mm-hmm. that, that we've, we have, you know, now become a part of. Um, and we kind of, we were detached from, from our roots, you know what I'm saying? And, and from our traditions and, and where our, you know, that, that little something we just have inside of us that we can't necessarily explain, but we know where it comes from, but you can't necessarily get a bead on it, man. I think we got to listen to that voice within. Like we, you know, kids that may be making bad decisions in the streets, you know that you got that inner voice that tells you what's right and wrong, do right by people. You can hear it. You know, we we turn the volume down on it a lot of times. And I think, you know, we have a tendency to do that. Um, but, you know, it, at our core, our nature, we're, we're not a violent people. We're not a push my brother down to, to go forward. We're not, you know, we're not the crabs in a barrel stepping over top of the people around us our nature is uh, as is a communicable people you know what i'm saying to help each other to to not hoard any knowledge to to give it out you know what i'm saying to listen to understand you know one another i mean i we that's in us everything that that we look to books for for guidance or you know you hear from a, a speaker that you that resonates with you you know you know and feel on the inside that you already knew that you already knew. Yeah. It was already there. You know what I'm saying? We just got to open up and allow ourselves to to hear that voice that's, that's coming from within and to, you know, let your, you know, lead, let yourself lead the way. You know what I'm saying? But um, I, if I could change, if I could change that, I mean, that, that's what I would change. I think if we were all just really moving in our own energy and within our own spirit, mm-hmm. we would be doing, we could, you know, we can do exceptional things. Man, um, this has been a powerful hour plus, bro. Like, for real, for real. Um, it's been an honor to really, really build on a on a way where 
it's a change of pace, man. Change of pace. And I think there's a lot of work to be done in the city, bro. A lot of work to be done in the city. A lot of work that has been done. Yeah. And even outside of, even outside of, well outside of, it's in our peer group. I think our generation, the 30, at 30, 35, I think hopefully this 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 interview and this collaboration, future collaborations, kind of build into a building together, specifically in Durham. Durham is a very weird place where, especially amongst black leaders, and I say it publicly, there's just, there's a lot of, they, they're a lot of ball hogs, bro. A lot of ball hogs to a certain extent, but I've seen. And it's like, nah. And it's they they wanna they wanna dictate who comes to this to playing fields and things of that nature. And hopefully we can just continue um to add on to those that are already doing good work amongst each other. Um but I think we can we can there's, there's more vibrations that we can take to the city. Um they make they, they can make it pop even harder for black folk. Oh, right? yeah. It only but it's only gonna like Cole said, people act as if two legends can't coexist. Like nah, there's there's a, there's there's multiple legends. I, I believe everybody's a legend, but people don't be on that. But I do. But I mean, I'm gonna claim my legendariness. Yeah. So like nah, I think there's room for people to really all build amongst each other and grow together. It doesn't mean you have to walk work on every project together, but I think that um I think the energy is uh is effervescent, man. So uh, minority trailblazer nation, um we going we gonna show love. Hey, where can, where can they find more information about what you do and who you are and other things? Uh, on Instagram, it's at Colton Palmer. Got my government. Uh, it's just C-O-L-T-O-N-P-A-L-M-E-R. Um, and then my business's website is Gold Group Incorporated. Uh, so it's goldgroupinc.com. Um, and then we have a couple little, couple, couple different things going on. Some things we're kicking off soon. Uh, Talk of RDU is a, is a blog um, that we're, we're getting up and rolling that is gonna, gonna blossom into much more. But right now it's, you know, talking about things going on, you know, within 